Hello and welcome to Learning from Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And this week, I talked to a legend of advertising here in Australia. His name is Simon Reynolds, famous for the Grim Reaper commercial that was created when everyone started to worry about a strange um, challenge to the world called HIV AIDS. It became a very famous ad worldwide, and Simon became probably one of the most well-known advertisers in the country, probably up against John Singleton for his uh, fame and uh, ultimately his fortune. Very successful guy, been involved with lots of companies, and he's connected to a new and very interesting new age company, which we'll talk about along with the interview. But first, I want to talk about the historical experiences of one Simon Reynolds. Hi, Simon. Fantastic to be here, Peter. So, Simon, let's position you for for people who are so young, they don't remember your greatness. Um, And uh, you you came to um, fame, I guess, the way I should put it, um, as a a boy genius of advertising. And one of your most famous ones was, uh, to me, was the Triple M commercial, which was visually absolutely fantastic. But the one that really gave you national acclaim was your um, um, AIDS, HIV and the bowling ball, the Grim Reaper. Tell us what kind of impact that had on your career and your business. Well, it it really put me in front of the public spotlight. Before, I was somewhat known in the advertising industry, but this is uh, one of those rare occasions where you became a public figure. And it was very strange. You know, literally three weeks later, a lot of people in Australia knew me. And uh, it was a, a bizarre experience to go through. And, and, and subsequently, you know, I've, I've lived a lot of my life in, in the public eye and all because of that commercial. Did you find it hard, Simon, or do you actually like people recognising you and giving you a, a pat on the back? Look, 95% of the time, it's a, it's a positive. You, you can get a decent table in a restaurant. <laughs> um, people uh, will reach out to you. Uh, and then you've got 5% of you've got these guys on the sideline who are, you know, always having a shot at people who are, who are in the press. But all in all, yeah, you know, I, th- I think being known is an important part of, of being uh, uh, in any business. It makes things a lot easier. Yeah. What do you think was your competitive advantage? Because we're going to talk about a business called Buyer's Circle, which is a, a relatively new business. And I always think to myself, particularly when I'm investing in a business, uh, and I have talked to you about that um, fund manager in uh, the US called WCM, and they always look to invest in companies that have a growing moat. And the moat is basically the competitive advantage of the company. And if that's growing, that's a good idea to invest in a company like that. So when you when you think about your competitive advantage, what is it, Simon? As a person or for... As a person, but, but, but then how you use that in the businesses that you've owned to grow those brands. Well, uh, that's a great question. I've never, never been asked. I, I think I might have some uh, competitive advantages in having just owned businesses since I was 23. So I'm in my, in my 50s uh, now. I never went to university. I started in, in advertising age 18, a couple of weeks after the, the final year exams. And as a result of that, I've been an owner. 
for over 30 years. And some of those companies have been public and uh, certainly some of them have grown fast. And so I've really learned a lot that you can only learn not from a book, not from a university professor, but in the business of business. And so these days I do a lot of mentoring, a lot of, a lot of coaching of, of business leaders. And I'm basically, you know, my competitive advantage is I've probably been there. I've probably made that mistake before and hopefully I've learned from it. But, but Simon, I, I, I don't want to tell you, tell you about yourself, but, you know, from the objective, from the ob observer, that I've been over the years, I've always figured people like you who are really good at advertising, and there was a stage there where you and John Singleton were actually business partners, and Singleton, of course, is very good at advertising as well. I always figure you both get us. You get the Australian psyche, and therefore you can create messages that, we, that resonate with us. And as a consequence, we, we buy the products, we buy the services. And as a consequence, your brand grows. Is that a fair call? Yeah, absolutely. Look, at the end of the day, when it comes to uh, brand building of individuals, you can only go so far. At the end, you've got to deliver. At the end, you've got to be excellent at your craft. And most people uh, get a brand in an industry from being excellent rather than just from PR. So, uh, yeah, look, I, I think uh, I had a good fortune to have a natural understanding of what people want and, and to actually care about uh, what people want, uh, not to just do advertising that was just trying to flog them something uh, that they didn't need or wasn't appropriate for them, but to try and say, okay, why would someone buy this? Why is it important? Why would it help them? And then to wrap that message up in, a, in a, an ad that was not just empathetic of, of the needs in their life, but actually was creative. So they noticed it and they remembered it when they went to the supermarket and were ready to buy. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because you might say someone else actually created this, but it, it seemed like the kind of thing that you would have created. And when it was for the AFR, was the daily habit of highly effective people. So even if you didn't do that, that's the kind of thing I would have expected of you. Yeah, I, I wrote uh, almost all those ads, and uh, it's great, great that you recognise it. That particular line was done by a guy called Ian Watson, who used to be my boss. And it's a great line, the, the daily habit of successful people. So the philosophy of that was that the Financial Review had a small circle of people who were interested in it because it was uh, advertised as being about finance. But there's a 10 times more people who are interested in business success. They may not be interested in, you know, the percentages of, of finance and the intricacies of, uh, of, of, of the share world or whatever, but they want to get wealthy. They want to be successful. They want to have a career that is going to take them places. And so with that line, the daily habit of successful people, what we said is you can be successful reading the financial review, not just knowledgeable. Mm, yeah. So, Simon, in your lifetime, what has been, you know, let's just steer away from the famous ad of the HIV AIDS commercial. What has been the, the most successful ad campaign you've ever done and why was it so successful? And I'm asking this question because people watching this run businesses and, and they often do it themselves, even though they probably shouldn't, but they do. So I want to try and get what, what you think was the most successful campaign and why was it so successful? 
Yeah, great question. Look, um, it's very hard, if I'm to be honest, it's very hard to discern uh, what was most successful because sometimes you get a fabulous product to advertise and the product almost sells itself. And then other times you get a product that is completely mediocre. It's actually worse than its competitors. And it, you could argue that that is the greatest success to be able to take what they've got and really make, and make it sell when it maybe isn't that much better than any other product, maybe even worse. So uh, in my life, you know, uh, one of the companies that I, I had the fortune of helping a lot was Freedom Furniture. So when we first started doing Freedom's ads, uh, they'd never done a TV ad. And, you know, they, they were a decent furniture store, but I think that the ad that we did for them uh, basically played a crucial role in building the company over, over the next, next 20 years. But as to why, I think uh, the words of the, of the great advertising legend Leo Burnett really come to mind here. And he said that great advertising is truth well told. So you've got to find a truth, a truth about something where people go, you know what, that is spot on. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to wrap that round with, a, with something that grab, grabs your attention. So trying to say something that doesn't resonate, isn't true in people's hearts, never works, no matter how creative the ad is. Mm -hmm. But by the same token, trying to just be creative for creative, creativity's sake without an inherent truth that, that resonates with people, that doesn't work either. But truth well told together that moves mountains in the sales department. Okay. Um, have you been staggered how the internet has changed the connection between businesses, advertisers, and the customer base that they're chasing? Yeah, I've been, uh, uh, I always thought the internet would be strong. I didn't think it would become the dominant medium as fast as it has. And, you know, obviously we've seen it eat up a lot of a lot of other mediums, you know, aspects of um, of uh, 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 of TV, for example. But uh, so from that point of view, it was it was super super fast. It's it's takeover. But at the heart of the internet, it's not just a medium uh, from an advertising point of view. It's data. Uh, it's the rise of data. So if you look at your typical ad, often people were making decisions. Company owners were making decisions about advertising with very little data. The data was retrospective. So we'll, we'll spend a million on an ad and hope it's going to work. And then we'll look and see what the results were like. And we've either done our money or, or we haven't. What, what's so beautiful about uh, online advertising, if done well, is we have a lot of data up front about the type of person who might respond to, the, to an ad online, and we have a lot of data in the middle in that I know within an hour or at least 24 hours how that ad's going. I can change it. I can pull it. I can add to it. I can increase some marketing spend. So we've got data in the middle, and then we've got data in the end because I see a direct correlation. I can follow the channel right to a purchase. Whereas in, uh, if I'm advertising a supermarket product on TV or, or print or whatever, it's not that clear that they bought it because of the ad. They might have bought it because it was well positioned in the store, et cetera, et cetera. So at all three points, the internet brings uh, magnificent data. Uh, and as a result of that, 
it's uh, it's unassailable. It's a medium. It's it's going to be number one for a long time. Yeah, and and in your early days of advertising, which you went for a long time, when you think about, it, if you wanted to advertise to a potential Mercedes buyer, you might have bought a time on sixty minutes on a Sunday, but of the the two million people who watched sixty minutes, maybe only thirty thousand were Mercedes buyers. The internet has helped you target better, hasn't it? Those sort of that thirty thousand Mercedes buyers. Spot on. Uh, in, and, and it's great you mentioned cars as an example. I, I used to work for General Motors Holden, and they told me that all those car ads that you see on TV, at any one point in time, only 2% of Australians are looking to buy a car. Mm -hmm. So one could argue that the vast majority of that money is wasted for exactly the reason you said. These are broadcast mediums. And we're now, we've now entered a narrow cast world where we can pick and choose. We can be like snipers and pick the perfect audience. Like your, your following is enormous, but they all have one thing in common. They value financial advice. They value wisdom for, for, the, for their finances. People who want to know about dresses obviously aren't tuning in into Switzer. And yet they are on television. People are advertising, just as you say, financial products, cars, and, and they have to pay for an audience that doesn't care about that all too often. Mm, okay. So let's talk about a true story and see if we can tell it well around this new company called Buyer's Circle. So tell us what Buyer's Circle does. Yeah, it's an amazing company that I'm, I'm chairman of and have, have been for about six months. And I, when I was told the story of Buyer's Circle, I, I was stunned. So what Buyer's Circle does is it enables anybody to open an online store in five minutes, fully stocked. And when you think about it, we're in a world where influencers are taking over. It's just an incredibly fast growing area, the world of the online influencer. Now, an online influencer could be someone who's got 500 friends, but they really believe the people trust that person. Or it could be someone with 50,000, 500,000 followers, and they have influence over them. So we've got this explosion of influencers, but they don't really know most of them how to monetize, how to make money out of the people who follow them. So what a buyer circle has been set up for influencers, small and large, to uh, give them a way to make money. So you've got all these followers. Well, why don't you set up a shop? Now, it's every second person's dream to have a side hustle or have an online business uh, at their own internet shop. But it's a hassle for most people to do that. They've got to decide what kind of products they're going to sell. They have to source those products. They have to build that website. They have to make sure it has good transactional capacity for people to buy and sell. And then they've got to deliver that product everywhere, all over the country, on time and cost efficiently. And it's no wonder that everybody, when they look at that, they go, it's too much. It's particularly too much if I've got another job that, I, that I've got to do. So what we do is in five minutes, uh, we've got a platform where we've got thousands of products. You just pick what you want to sell. In six months' time, we'll have 100,000 products you can choose from. And you just set up your shop and you, do, you send it out to your followers. So the reason that Buyer's Circle 
in Australia has grown so, so fast. And it's under two years old and it's already got 780,000 Australians as registered users. The reason is because it's all about a new category of, of the internet called social e-commerce. And social e-commerce is sell to your friends, sell to people who trust, trust you, sell to your followers rather than selling just to strangers. And we enable that. Okay, so let, let me try and understand this in, in relation to my business. So I've got the Switzer Report, which is a subscriber newsletter. Uh, it's, it's, it's been supported by self-directed investors, particularly self-managed super fund uh, people. But it really should be uh, purchased by everyone who's getting into investing because we've got some of the best you know, market analysts and stock uh, tipsters around the country who work for us. Could we put that on by a circle and as a consequence, in increase the potential subscribers? That's a great question. You, you can put any of your own products if you want to on, on buy a circle. So it's a platform that enables people to transact effortlessly via our app and you send it out via your social mediums. So you could definitely do that. That's not the way most people will do it. And your lateral smart mind uh, always is always seeing opportunities. It's mostly about uh, two types of products. Uh, the first is regular stuff, fruit, vegetables, fish. Uh, uh, we've got contacts all over Australia with the markets, etc. Those kind of daily products, alcohol, uh, wine, all that kind of stuff. And then the second type of product, that a buyer circle is amazing at, and we talk about moats against competition, is it's founded by three guys, or oh, two guys and one girl, who were really senior at Alibaba in China. And Alibaba, is, even a lot of Australians will know, is, is, is one of the kings of, of world internet, an enormously large company. And these guys have got incredible contacts in China. So um, pretty soon we'll have 100,000 products the vast majority of which Australians have never seen. So if you're a buyer's circle um, store owner, you can sell to your friends stuff they've never seen, which is totally remarkable, which is, which is uh, often very, very inexpensive. And uh, our statistics show that less than 1% of the products that are manufactured in China are actually available to Australians. Because they don't have the, the connections into the, the giant world, which is Chinese commerce. So are you, are you saying someone, say, for example, there's a, um, well, let's just say there's a, a, a international Australian swimmer who everyone loves, um, Bronte Campbell, someone like that. And Bronte creates a, a wonderful T-shirt. She gets it produced in China. And she puts it out there on Buyer's Circle and everyone who loves Bronte Campbell says, got to have that T-shirt. Is that the sort of thing we're talking about? That's exactly right. So she can manufacture her own product or she can uh, just use our products. And, and people often, often, often do a blend. Whatever you want to sell, you can sell it to your friends and we make, we make it effortless. And that's, you see, that's, it solves the fundamental problem that is an online business. People don't talk about it. It's a hassle to set up an online store and make, make it work until buyer circle started. Okay, not that I'm going to tell you your business, Simon, but I can, I'm just thinking, take away the hassle of a side hustle, giving it to you. The, you love it. It's yours. I'll send the check. <laughs> I love it. Take, take away the hassle of a side hustle. Love it. Beautiful. 
Yeah, I can see. So at this stage, how long has the company been, it's a private company, how long has it been operating in Australia? Yeah, a bit under two years. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of it was getting started. So even in January, we had uh, hardly any uh, revenue. Um, Last month, so November, we had over $1.7 million revenue for the uh, for the month. So it's it's growing astronomically. Last month, it grew 33%. The ma- a month before, revenue grew uh, 53%. So it's gr- growing. E- even by internet standards, this company's growing at a, at a very fast rate. Okay. And so you're, you're currently in a capital raising situation? Yeah. We've just started uh, a raise for $20 million, which is to, to really uh, uh, inject a, a lot of velocity into areas, enable us to staff up, spend more money on marketing, increase our, our, our product range, improve our tech team, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Do you envision an IPO in, in the next few years? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it really depends on our lead shareholders, but but uh, we could we could easily see an IPO uh, in a year's time if the market was was still healthy. That's for sure. At this point in time, Simon, what has been the the, the best um, vehicle for growing this 700,000 registered users so far? Beautiful question. I think the weakness of many, many online businesses, particularly uh, uh, a lot of SaaS businesses, is they need marketing dollars to, to expand. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost nothing has been spent on marketing here. It's all word of mouth. It's all viral. It's one person seeing someone with a uh, buyer circle store and saying, hey, what is that? I should do that as well. And so it's, uh, you know, to get from basically zero a year ago to 780,000 registered users, that's, that can only really happen through viral marketing. And, the, you know, the great fortune for us is that that's free. Simon, have you actually done it yourself? Have you actually used your, your circle of influence to... You know, seize upon a product and actually put it out to your your group and if so what was it yeah i buy stuff on buyer circle so um you know for instance if i uh, they do some great deals on beer for example so i'll buy a, a case of the beer or um they have they have a lot of rare meat so um lobster or that you might not be able to get a hold of or or what you there's actually particular styles of pork that are very elite um, uh, if you're into the world of pork and a lot of the Chinese population are into, into pork. So I buy products. I haven't set up a store. I, I don't think it's for my type of, type of person. You know, I'm more on the, on the, on the um, uh, advisory level, right? My life, life is advising business owners. But, you know, the stories are incredible. We have this Brazilian Marcelo. He's got another job in, in the building industry. He makes $2,000 virtually every month around that amount, just in his spare time selling, sending products out to friends. So there's a million stories of, of people who are doing these side hustles, as, as, as you say. And then, of course, bigger influencers who are turning over hundreds of thousands of dollars with, with Buyer Circle, but doing it full time. Yeah. Um, Simon, uh, what's the website? Yeah, buyercircle.com mm-hmm. uh, or buyercircle.com.au will, will take you there. Yeah, okay. But before we wrap up, a couple of little important questions. You, you mentioned the fact that you didn't go to university. And a lot, of, a lot of successful people 
maybe went to university but didn't last long. I think Mike Cannon-Brooks didn't last long at university. I figured Mike probably knew more than the people who were teaching him. Um, <laughs> but along the way, apart from the fact that you hang out, hung out with really good people in your industry, and, and certainly despite the fact that you have had some very social differences to Singo, you would have learned a lot from Singo along the way as well. Um, sure. um, but I know you've been a prolific reader of self-help books and a lot of people are cynical about you know, self-help books. You know I'm not, and that, despite the fact being a former academic, I could easily be uh, such, but knowing small business people as I do and the successful ones invariably have had a big commitment to reading great, um, great uh, small business books, entrepreneur books. Which are, which are the books that have had the biggest influence on you? Wow. Uh, yeah, and, and you're right. I'm a huge, huge believer in learning. I, I really am. Uh, look, I, I read a book when I was 17 that, that you will know of, and a lot of people will. It was uh, printed in 1937 hmm. called Think, Think and Grow Rich. Hmm. And uh, oh, it's one of the, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and Napoleon Hill was is quite a remarkable story for people who haven't read it before. He was interviewing as a young journalist, the richest man in the world, Andrew Carnegie, the, the steel magnate. Mm. And at the end of it, Carnegie said, I've got an offer for you and you've only got 60 seconds to make a decision is I will introduce you to the most powerful, successful people in all of America, the business people, the scientists, the politicians, including presidents, mind you. And I want you to study them for at least 10 years. And then I want you to write a treatise, a manifesto of your discoveries. Why did they become successful? Mm. And that became Think and Grow Rich. And I read that at 17. Mm. And that was a blessing because inside that, I think, is a manual for success. And, uh, you know, to some degree, I did a few of the things in that book. And it also... Peter, it also awakened, uh, uh, awakened me to human possibility. Mm. You know, I was really average at school. I hadn't gone. Uh, uh, no one would have put me as someone who might uh, go somewhere. But it ignited a fire mm. of the realisation that I could be better than I was and that I could be some, do something special if I, if I aimed for it, believed in it, and then followed methods to get there. Yeah. When I read it, it made me think of what we were doing and what I was doing as uh, an objective, as a product that I could objectively assess and and then work out the the the, the existing value of that product and what had to be done to enhance the value of that product, just like you enhance the value of a business. I think I think it actually made me think about myself more objectively, and that. I've always believed in the value of a, of a SWOT, doing a, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities and threats. And I know Neil Perry said his mentor many years ago made him do, made him do a SWOT on him as a leader in, in his business, which was a very clever thing to do, I think. Um, and I think that the Napoleon Hill book, Think and Grow Rich, made me think differently about myself. And I think it's had a big impact. Yeah, yeah. Powerful book. All right, mate, great talking to you. I could talk to you all day. And I think the people listening would have benefited an enormous amount from what you've shared with them today. Thanks for joining us, Simon Reynolds. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
Quentin time! Quentin time! <laughs>